Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we take this moment now to remind ourselves of who you are and whose we are. And God, we're so thankful and grateful that we get to worship in this space. We're thankful, God, that we not only can acknowledge you, but we can sing to you and we can enjoy your presence. And God, as we rush through life, it is so easy to just fit you in, but not truly acknowledge and worship you for who you are. And so, God, we do things like this. We do a, a Sunday service where we gather people in a room and we just try to focus on Jesus from the very beginning to the very end because we, we know we're going out into a world where you are an add-on at best, but here you're very central to all that we do and we are the church and we're so much more than a building. We are the people and as the people, God, if the Jesus is central to our church. It's because he's at the very center of our hearts. He's at the very center of our minds. And we love him with everything. And so now, God, as we come into this place to hear a sermon, God, the last thing we need is just wise tales from a man. We need powerful words from a God. We need the strong God, the all-wise God, to speak through a frail man again. And so, God, we enter into this space to hear from you, to hear your heart again, to rest in you, and to know you more. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. So good to be back with you all again as we continue on in our series called Rest for the City. It's so crazy, man. Um, you know, as I think about, as we put this series together, our heartbeat really was that your life feels crazy here in the city. I, I said this last week, you know, I've lived in a lot of cities. I've lived in Dallas and I've lived in Atlanta and I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I never once said while living in any of those cities, man, I gotta get out of the city. It feels crazy here. But here, Sometimes we just have to get out and go away because the pace is crazy and it makes you feel crazy. You know, part of it is most people that have moved here or immigrated here moved here to do something great. And so the city moves at the pace of greatness. It moves with a hunger to be the best. And so if you've moved here, you think you're good at something, huh? Or your family moved here. And you've been a child of someone who worked very, very hard. And so this is what we feel when we live in the city. And we feel this intensity, this intense pace. You know, but I believe this pace comes at a cost. It comes at a great cost. Because in many ways, we can't slow down. When you can't slow down... You live a life with no boundaries and no margin. You know, a basketball game is great because you've got an out of bounds. 
You've got some place where things stop and they go. When you were young, you had that loose leaf paper and you had a margin and you knew you couldn't go outside of it. Things make sense when they have structure and boundary. And part of the, part of the challenge of living in a city like this is it's hard to live with margin and boundary. It's hard to say no when you need that gig or when you need that job because our rent is so high and the space is so small. The train is crazy and the dollar van, forget it. It's insane. And so you're always hustling. That's the culture of the city, hustle, hustle, hustle. And so you're always moving and you've got to do more because you're not sure if you're going to make it. And so we're always feeling this pressure from the outside and the inside to keep moving and to keep going. The crazy thing about not having boundaries or margins is that you say yes to things when you know you don't have the time or the energy, but you feel like you got to. One of the craziest things about not being able to rest in a city like this is simply stated, you just can't be still. It is actually hard to gear down, to sit and to turn off for a little while. That's actually a challenge in a city like this. You know, the Bible talks about being still, but the Bible is not talking about being still for the sake of stillness. The Bible talks about being still for the sake of contemplation, for the sake of realizing that your life is a part of a larger narrative and a larger story. So the Bible says in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Don't just stop and pause. Stop and reflect and know I'm God. Know that your life is part of a larger story. Know that if you don't get that gig, there is a provider. Know that you are not defined by whatever vocation you've signed up for. Because our true calling is to intimacy and not vocation. Our true calling is to him and not the things we see in this world. And so we all have to get to this place where in the midst of our busyness, we rest, we reflect, we pause, and we know there is a God. And last week, what we said is the culture of the city is what? Prove yourself to yourself and to others. Oh, you good? Prove it. That's the culture of the city. And so we start doing things because we're proving something to ourselves. We're making sure we're the best. And we got to show everybody else that we're not going to go back home. We're going to stay. We're going to make it. Yeah, we heard what Frank Sinatra said. We heard what Jay-Z said. We're going to make it. We know if we can make it here, we make it anywhere. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. I am who I think I am, right? And so you feel this tension. And so one of the ways to express this tension is really through our schedules. You see, an overbooked calendar is silent proof that my life is full and important. And in many ways, it's a badge. It has some kind of barometer saying, I matter, see? So when you talk to people, What's going on? Man, my life is crazy, yo. I'm crazy. It's crazy. I'm doing crazy stuff right now. This is crazy. This is crazy. What you doing? I'm hustling, hustling, you know, trying to hustle. You got to hustle out here. You know what I'm talking about. 
And we feel it's only right to say those things. And if we lack that kind of crazy cycle, it's almost as if, what are you doing here? The, the city almost has over top of it an imaginary drill sergeant telling you to do more. Press into the margins and the boundaries of your life because if you don't, you may need to go home or you may not make it or you may not just be everything you thought you were. And I get it. I get it. I understand that this is the tense world that we live in. I understand that we want to be the best in our industries, in our, in our fields. But maybe, just maybe, have we ever paused and stopped and questioned and just asked ourselves, has God endorsed my pace? In other words, is God cool with the way my life is going? It's not so much I'm questioning your speed, I'm questioning your direction. Questioning in all this frenziness, have you brought God in the conversation of your time. One series we did, we talked about your money and we asked it being that God is the, the one who controls finances. Have you ever thought that if it's all God's, you ought to bring your finances to him and ask what to do with your finances? You ever thought about that with time? You ever thought for a second, if God is the author of time, if he knows all time, he's created all time, he goes beyond all time. You ever thought maybe my schedule should not just be submitted to a boss, but to God? I'm not telling you to quit. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm saying what I'm trying to tell you is if he is the creator of time, don't you think he has an opinion? And maybe your restlessness has come into your life because you have budgeted him out and he doesn't have a say. So what we want to do is we want to get perspective. We want to talk to somebody, hear from somebody who has some insight into time. One person would be Moses. Moses, incredible story. You know, Moses wrote a psalm. He wrote Psalm 90. And Moses' life works in four stages, or you could say four seasons. Moses was a Hebrew baby that essentially got adopted into Pharaoh's home. He grows up in basically the king of the world's house. And he grew up like a prince in this house. And he was raised as an Egyptian, but he knew all the while that he was Hebrew. And he knew deep down inside one day he wanted to lead the nation of the Israelites. And so he goes down and he ends up getting into a fight, trying to lead, trying to be the one. He ends up killing a man and he ends up having to go into the desert. And going into the desert, he ends up being a shepherd. And chapter two of his life was 40 years of being a shepherd. And I'm gonna tell you one thing, being a shepherd is not like being in the palace. It was a much different life. It was seeing sheep in the morning and at night. It was feeding them, dealing with them, cleaning up after them, 40 years, day in and day out. And I guarantee you there came a point in Moses' life where he thought, this is it. 
I guarantee you there came a point in Moses' life where he thought, I am a shepherd, and a shepherd defines who I am. Oh, but Moses' life didn't end there. Moses ends up going back to Pharaoh, and God calls him back to Egypt. In chapter 3 of his life, Moses is now before Pharaoh, and God has him doing things that he would never do in his own strength. And there is pestilence, and there is plagues, and there's frogs coming out the sky, and blood is everywhere, death angels going everywhere. I mean, one of the greatest scenes in modern history is being played out, and Moses is at the epicenter of it. And God says, this ain't it. I want you to talk. And he wants God, God wants him to be his mouthpiece. And Moses is like, man, I can't talk. That's the last thing I would sign up for. And yet God still enlists him and gives him an assignment to a place he would never sign up for. And God has him go and he says, let my people go. This enacts the Exodus, and now the people of Israel are being led out of Egypt into the wilderness. And then there's chapter four, the fourth season. And in that season, Moses, Moses is now with people, leading the nation of Israel. The very thing he wanted to do, he's now doing it. But he's doing it in the wilderness, wandering around, the wilderness every day. And people are different than sheep. They murmur, they complain. And Moses ends up having to deal with the complaints of the people. And his life ends with being able to see what they called the promised land. And God did not allow him to go into the promised land, but his life ends right at the point where he could have went in. 120 years, Moses is on earth. And Moses, in a prayer, pens his thoughts to a pad to give us insight into time. Verses 1 and 2, Psalm 90, reads this way. If you have your Bible, feel free to open it up. If you have a phone, feel free to use the app. And if you want, you can just look up here. In Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, Moses says it this way, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's very important. He says the context of my life is everlasting to everlasting. We fit into a world where we are bookended between everlasting and everlasting. By way of illustration, when I was in college, college ministry, I remember a dude walked up to me they say, yo, man, you know, I just appreciate the ministry you're doing, man. And, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not trying to, you know, go into Bible study yet because, you know, like the Bible say, eat, drink, and be merry, you know, for tomorrow we die. You know what I'm saying? I read that. And I was like, well, actually, 
That verse, when you read the rest of it, is actually talking about that's the thing you would say if you don't believe Jesus is real. Yeah, that's what you say if you don't believe the resurrection is real. So it's dangerous if you take a verse out of context because you'll use it for your own means and you'll end up destroying your life. If you forget your life is in the context of everlasting to everlasting, you'll use your life out of context. And you'll forget the fuller picture of who you are and the place that you've been set. You'll actually start thinking that this is it. And you'll get so caught up on now that you'll forget that there's an everlasting. That there's something more, not just to this world, but there is a greater world. And there's so much more that God has in store for you because the essence of our hope is not here. It is somewhere else. And it is with the king who will come back someday. Everlasting to everlasting. Our life is book-ended. Be careful of ever taking your life out of context. Moses goes on. And outside of verses 1 and 2, he says this. You return men to dust and say, return, O children of man. So Moses goes as far as to say, yes, life begins with everlasting, it ends with everlasting, and if God creates you, he also knows when your expiration date comes to. He says, he gives us an illustration almost of how in the creation, God made us from the dust. And so he says, and I don't think this happens when we die, I hope not, Go back to the dust. Return to where you came. And so in essence, what Moses is getting at is not only God is very aware of eternity, but he's also aware of when you expire. You know, it's so funny. Far too often we live as if we don't have an expiration date. The Bible says it has been appointed for a man to die once. And then come the judgment. And in essence, we all have an appointment. We all have a day. And so he says, God speaks to man and speaks into their expiration date. And I can tell you this, I've sat with many a man, many hospitals, many people that are sick, and their faith has ranged from atheist to pastor. When you're about to die, you get real close to God. You start to really believe he has something to do with my deadline. And he has something to do with my end date. And so Moses speaks into the fact that your day, one day, is coming. Think of God's perspective, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight, are but as yesterday when it's past, or as watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning, it's flourished and renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. Now, this verse is not meant to encourage you. I just want you to understand. This is what he's trying to say. In God's eyes, your life is like grass that comes up in the morning and then is dead by the end of the day. He says... For God, a thousand years is like one day. He says it's like yesterday. A thousand years, yeah, that was like yesterday. (laughs) 
He says, or it could be like a watch in the night, which is about three to four hours. So from God's perspective, I know mama said you were special. And I know you are. And I know you're significant. But what he is trying to do is to get you to lift up your eyes to see that from God's perspective, your life is in essence a millisecond. It's here and gone so quickly. Oh, the baby's born. Oh, grandma dead. All quick, all quick like that. And so he says, your life just gets swept away so quick. And so the picture he gives us here is one where we are, in a sense, seeing God's perspective of our lives and how he sees that. But then he says, well, what would you see in verse 10? And then he says, the years of your life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Toil and trouble. He says, you might live 70 years. If you're strong, you might make it 80. He says, well, that would be a good thing. But then he goes on to say, but life in those years will be filled with toil and trouble. And the words there basically mean obstacles and sorrow. He says all those years will be painful. <laughs> what do you think Moses, why do you think Moses wrote that? Well, when I read, I like the highlight reel. You know, when I'm talking about him there with the Pharaoh, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we, we went into detail with that. But we didn't hear all the details of the wilderness. We didn't hear all the details of the desert. We know there was some pain. But Moses says, I just want to make it clear. I had a lot of challenges and jagged edges, jagged edges in my years. My mom is in town. Hopefully you got a chance to meet her. My mom, I won't say her age. She's youthful. Um, but she's kind of in between those two numbers that we said, praise God. And, um, you know, my mom could go into detail with you about the walk that she has had with God, about the many things that God has done with her, the many places that she's been. But I, this week, I had a chance to sit down with her and we just started talking about trials. We started talking about some of the pain that she's been through. We started talking about some of the things that she has had to endure. One of the greatest educations you could ever have is not just when you're with the saints that are further along than you, not just to get the highlight reel of their life, but ask about what the valley was like. <laughs> Ask about what it was like to go through trial and toil. When you get, you who are single, when you get with that couple, don't ask about the highlights of marriage. Ask about the real. Ask about the valley. Those who don't have kids yet, come on over. 
Ask about not just what it's like in the birthing room, on birthdays, and on the good days. Ask me about the valley. Ask me how God brings you through. Ask me how God is able to deal when you don't know how to discipline a child. Ask, ask. The reason why you ask is because Moses tells us this is what life is actually full of. And you may get caught up on the highlight reel. And you may think the next season will save you from pain. And he says, I've had four chapters in my life and every chapter was painful. Oh, it was trial. Oh, it was so much sorrow and toil. But I believe Moses wants us to lift our eyes up and see God's perspective and begin to treasure something more eternal and treasure something more than now. You know, so many of us have our heads burrowed in right now. So much of your heart is burrowed in right now. So much of us compare what's happening in someone else's life right now. And we're fixed on this world. And you can't rest because you don't invite God into your daily life. Should you begin to invest with someone who you're going to spend eternity with, or should you be worried with the things of this life that are only going to be merely a 70 years, 80 years at best? What he's trying to tell you is life is short, but eternity, oh, eternity is something we should keep our eyes and minds fixed on. And he says in verse 11, he says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to fear, uh, according to the fear of you. He says, and, and this written in Hebrew is, is very challenging, but ultimately, without getting into a Hebrew lesson, what he's trying to get at is if we saw God for who he is, we would give him the reverence he's due. Because what he is saying is, have you looked at his power? Have you looked at the potential of his anger? Have you really considered his wrath? I know you know that God is loving, but have you considered he's just? Have you considered that he's actually holy and that he doesn't look past sin? Have you ever looked at the cross and ever thought about that the fact that that is God pouring out his wrath and he is holy and he will not allow justice to go by, but he will enact justice? Have you ever thought about who he really is? And if you think about that, if you think that he is creator, but he is also sustainer, and he can also end your life within a very moment, that this very moment could be your last moment, and this very Sunday could be your last Sunday, if we ever consider his power, his strength, his might, his wrath, his anger, if we ever consider that, then every morning truly would be new mercies. It truly would be. We would truly see the morning as grace. And we would think breath is a gift. We would think heartbeats are an honor. And we would think walking is majestic. Oh, if we considered the magnitude, the majesty, and the size of God and what he could do. 
we would honor him with our time. Oh, we would honor him. He says, who does that? Who considers it? And so Moses leaves us with this admonition, this encouragement that I think is in, in needed for us all. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us. You know, Moses just admitting, I don't know how to do this. It just doesn't come naturally to me. I need to learn how to number my days because particularly in my youth, I operate as a man who has unlimited time. And so I need to think my days will come to an end. I will not be endless. And sometimes we just move past. So we have to be taught this. <laughs> you know, um, we always, you know, the book of James talks about not just boasting in tomorrow, you know, and we used to, uh, <laughs> I used to have old deacons who come up to me and I'd be like, hey, uh, I'll see you next Sunday, if it's the Lord's will. <laughs> I'm like, well, we, he's like, you just don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and there was something simple in that. Every time they said that, there was something simple in that. It got annoying. But as I got older, I was like, you know, he was reminding me that that's not promised to me. And it's a shame because we don't have the words often. We often need wake-up calls. And sometimes we put death on the back burner because we almost would love to reach our goals more than to go to heaven. I mean, in some ways, death is actually getting in the way. It's like, I got too much going on. God, I got this um, job and I haven't even reached my goal. And I don't want to see you right now. I want you to help me right now. You know what I'm saying? I'll see you. Teach us. Teach us. You ever had something unlimited? This is the wrong crowd. <laughs> this is the wrong crowd. I have, <laughs> I have uh, on my phone, I have uh, unlimited data. Well, I got grandfathered in. That was... The moment the preacher gets applause for something he did not intend. It's like, you got unlimited data? Let's end right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. No, but what we really need is to realize I, had a, I have unlimited data on my phone. And the thing about it is that I've had unlimited data on my phone since I've had a mobile phone. So, so I don't know. Listen. So I got, I got grandfathered in 
Uh, I'm on AT and T, and I got I got I got grandfathered in. So I don't I honestly don't know what it's like to have um, I I don't know what it's like to have limits on my dad. I, I really don't. So so I I went to Africa. Help us, Lord. Remember, be careful about cell phone analogies. I went to Africa. And when I went to Africa, they said, your, your, your plan will change. And he talked about roaming. I didn't even know what it meant. I didn't know what roaming meant. I, didn't know, I just had always had unlimited data. So I was like, well, it might be a fee, but I've never had to pay a fee for data. So I'm in Uganda on Facebook. I'm catching up on ESPN in Kenya. I'm in huts, in between conversations, tweeting, because I don't know. And then I got back to the States. What was crazy was the trip itself cost $3,000, and that was paid for for me to go over there and speak. My bill was $3,000. And I'm going to tell you, with fear and trepidation, when I got that bill, I was like, Tarsha, um, you know, it's so crazy, so crazy. Data isn't always limited. So, but by God's grace, because I know I can't tell this story without you. By God's grace, the person on the phone ended up bringing down $300. Praise God. So, yeah. When you have something that's unlimited, you have the great potential to waste it. When you don't know, when you don't realize you have limits, you will waste things. And you must, you don't know when your life will come to its limit, but you know it has one. So you must start living with limits now. Teaching yourself to number your days first begins by knowing it has a number. And knowing you have limits. That we might gain a heart of wisdom. What is that number? You don't know, do you? You don't know. I don't know if I'll make it beyond 40. But the fact that I know that my time will come means I should prepare. Amen? You know about that. You know when you had that exam in school. You started to prepare and you knew the date. Or when you get married, you know the date. And you start to prepare and you orchestrate everything for that day. And how much it would be ashamed if you spent your life, you gained the whole world, but lost your soul. You were prepared for every meeting, every trip, every appointment, but you weren't prepared for eternity. And that would be a shame. So he says, teach us to number our days. And when we do that, we will 
the word get there is really like a harvesting term. Like we would, we would receive, like putting seeds in the ground and then we get it back as a harvest. We will receive a heart of wisdom. Wisdom, we'll start living with skill. We'll start making decisions. You know, I don't even know when I'm wasting time. Well, when you start realizing that your time can be wasted, and that your life has limits, you start to think about all types of things differently. And so there's a few encouragements I wanna leave you with as you consider what to add and what to subtract. Go to that next slide. (laughs) If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I will never make it. Even though none of you have said that, that might be the objection in your heart. I gotta do everything I can possibly do. Well, the question I have is, what is it? Define the it. It's nothing wrong with giving yourself to a great task. But is the it something that God would celebrate? Is the it causing you so much burden and lonesomeness and trial. I mean, the thing itself, is it it worth it in light of eternity? And in light of eternity, is it going to last? Because I believe God has given us one assignment on earth and it's expressed in two ways. And it is to love God and love people with the limited time we have. And is your it that? You're burdened to love God because he's had mercy on you and he sent his son for you. And so in light of that, you live your life in such a way to give him glory in all things. And then you want people to experience God and know God. And so you, you burden your life with being able to tell his story through your life with your limited amount of time. We have these limits. And we must be taught this. Hmm. And the reason why we can't rest is because we've got so many things going on. Isn't that right? Busy. No shade. I know what it's like to be busy. You're saying yes to so many things. But let me give you an encouragement and admonition. You are saying yes to too many things if you are saying no to God. You are saying yes to too many things if you are saying no to God. If you are fitting God into your purpose, then you've missed your purpose. If you are fitting God into your life, then you have forgotten what the context of your life is, and you have taken your life out of context. And whenever you take something out of context, you use it the wrong way. How sad would it be? Because you have a limit to your life, you gotta start living with limits. You have to start living with boundary. I encourage you not to stop My encouragement is not about busyness. I pray you're just busy with the right things. 
because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He doesn't want to overwhelm you. He wants you to be close to him. The greatest calling on your life is intimacy with God. That's the greatest calling on your life. And it is through intimacy and through love of God, you will do great things and you will stand before pharaohs and you will lead people and life will have trouble and life will have sorrow. And in the midst of the trouble and the sorrow, you will have peace and you will have hope and you will have joy. Life will be hard and life will be short, but God still will be good. And you must keep your life in context because what you may forget is that you are not him. (laughs) my kids um, I let them go across the street to the bodega and get stuff and uh, this week there was a controversy as it is normally in our house with girls and uh, my wife let uh, I won't name names those of you that know my family will know the names One of my daughters got a honey bun. One of my daughters got a goldfish. My wife said, you get one thing. You get one thing, so get it. And so my one daughter got that honey bun. Zoom, ate it down. Ate it down so bad I knocked the microphone off my ear. She ate the, she ate it. Is this right one? She ate that honey bun so quick. But then my other daughter was over there with the goldfish. About 45 minutes later, just. (laughs) Just eating her goldfish. And she just, oh, oh, what is this? Why she get this? What she got? And my, my wife said, no, 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 no. You don't get it. Don't be mad at her because she got something that would last. Don't be mad because you got something. You, you, I gave you just a little bit of money and you invested in something that went quick. Don't be mad because she got something that's going to last. And see, one of my daughters lived skillfully. She was wise. She considered how much she had and she invested it properly. And now she's eating goldfish all the days of her life. (laughs) God can save you, but you can waste your life. You can waste it, and you can waste it by not putting your thoughts, your hope, and your time in things eternal. So don't waste it. This week, get your schedule out. (laughs) Well, some of us don't even have a schedule, praise God. This week, just get your phone out. Just get your phone out. Put it on your bed. Turn that bed into an altar. 
to God. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about wasting time like Pokemon Go or Facebook. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm ta- there, there are moments when you need to chill. So don't walk away saying, I got to do more. Press into your relationship with God. Get on your knees. Put that phone on the bed and sit before him and say, God, I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste it. I want to use the time I have for your glory. Because you get your 20s once. You get your 30s once. You get your 40s once. And here's what I know. And hear me loud and clear. Regret is a real thing. Because some of those people you may sit down with and tell you those stories, some of them won't be good ones. Some of them will be, I live for the pleasure of people as opposed to the pleasure of God. I let people put me into a box and into a mold. And I was so afraid of the thoughts of men that I did not live for the thoughts of God. And if they can't articulate it, you can hear it in their pain. And I long for you not to be that way. I long for you to be a person who lives with abandonment for the things of God. Heavenly Father, we love you. Oh God. Oh God, give us rest, God. Take our time. Take our time, God. Take it. Use it, God. God, help me. Help me. Help me, God. I, I, I long to be important. I long to have a life that's full. I long to be known. I long to be seen. I long to be heard. I long to be used. Oh, God. Purify my motives. Purify my agenda, God. Oh God, I've been so restless. I've been so burdened by the thoughts of men. But God, I want to recommit my life to the thoughts of you. I don't want to waste my life because I heard that life, this, this old man named Moses, he pulled me aside one Sunday and said, my life is fit between everlasting to everlasting. And so God, I don't want to live for just the dash in the middle of my life. I want to know for certain one that I know you. I want to be certain that I know you and that my eternity is fixed in you. I want to be certain of that. But then I want to go to eternity all with great stories of you doing things through me. I want to go to eternity pointing to people I told your story to. People that knew you because of me. Use me, God. I long to be used. I long to be used. Great I am. Great I am. Great I am. I long to be used, God. I long to be used, God. God, as an act of repentance, Lord, I I pray that as we have this time of worship, 
God, will we just, even as we lift up our hands and we're singing, God, will we be just in a posture of surrender? Absolute surrender to you. Absolute surrender. Because no matter the pace of this city, you are the God of this city. And though we long to move at the pace of greatness, the pace of greatness is running to you because you are a strong tower and the righteous run to you. Oh Lord, I pray we would worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.